You know this song? Time keeps on slipping into the future. I was thinking about how you could flip it and it would be just as true. The future keeps on slipping into the present. The future keeps on slipping into the present. I, I want to call this talk today, The Future Is Here. We began a new series last week called The Future Is, looking for just clarity and vision for what's to come in these very unclear times. And so today, I want to dive into one of uh, my, my, my most favorite things to talk about, which is the subject of time. The scriptures have so much to say about it, how God sees it, how we tend to see it, how we should steward it. Um, Moses famously writes in Psalm 90, verse 12, he writes, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days so that we would have a heart of wisdom. He's saying, unless we come to understand how few our days are and place the right amount of value on the time that we do have, we won't end up living that wisely. Uh, a few hundred years ago, uh, a writer named Francis Fenelon, I think is how you say his name, 17th century cleric, he um, understood how valuable time was when he wrote, time is precious, but we do not yet um, know how precious it really is. We will only know when we are no longer able to take advantage of it. Uh, there is this ancient, ancient tradition uh, that many early followers of Jesus had where they would have a calendar that only had two days on it. Today, and then the day that they would die. Throughout history, in fact, followers of Jesus have spoken to this. If you want to have a heart of wisdom, which I don't know about you, but I, I want to be wise, we, we have to learn to live every day in light of that day that glorious day, that one fine morning, that mountaintop. We have to live in light of that day that we will die and be with God in the fullest sense of the word. How you see time is critical in the scriptures to living with wisdom and with joy and with purpose and with freedom. When we see the future as here, as now, it can begin to open up all sorts of possibilities. There's a number of places where time and wisdom get talked about. And I want to go to one like key place where these two intersect. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 20. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians 5, 15 to 20. Let me pray for us. God, we are in the habit of asking you to open our hearts and our eyes, our minds, to be awake and aware and expectant, Lord. And so we come again as we begin a new week a new week because we're with you filled with so much possibility, opportunities to love mercy and to do justice and to demonstrate and announce your way to the world, to, to walk humbly with you, to experience the grace and rest that is ours in you and experience the joy of joining you um, in putting this world to rights and the renewal of the world, Lord. And so we do ask again on this Sunday, that you would open us up, help us to truly be open-minded, to be ready for what you have, encouragement or conviction, admonishment, whatever it is, we're here for it, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Ephesians 5, be careful 
than how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. This is one of the clearest teachings in the New Testament about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be to walk with God intimately. And it begins with be careful how you live. I think the older I get, the more surprised I am at how life turns out. I've been thinking so much lately about friends and where they've ended up like career paths and school choices and things I thought and who I thought would still be married or who I thought would be doing this work or who I thought would be. I could go down the laundress. I'm sure you could too, like how I expected things to be. And it gets me, oh, I always come back to this thought of, it's amazing how if I'm not careful, if the people around me were not careful, we will just sort of drift. The Apostle Paul in this section in Ephesians and this letter to this church in Ephesus is trying to teach these people that you will not just drift into wisdom and you won't drift into beauty and you're not just going to drift into truth. You're not going to drift into spirit-filled life. You will not become like Jesus on accident. This isn't going to just happen to you. This sentiment is echoed in, uh, in the book of Hebrews. And we've talked about this a lot over the years. Hebrews 2.1, uh, the writer says, we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. All you have to do to drift, right, if you're in a boat or something, is just to untie yourself. Think about that for a minute. It doesn't take any conscious effort to drift. You just let go. And just kind of let the circumstances of your life happen to you. So back to Paul in Ephesians. Paul's writing to a group of brand new Jesus followers in the city of Ephesus who are embedded in a very strong, very coercive culture that's centered around the temple of Artemis. There are very different ways, very different ways of thinking about money and different ways of thinking about love and different ways of thinking about freedom, different ways of thinking about generosity and how to care for people. And the first thing the Apostle Paul says about walking with God is that a spirit-filled life, a life walking with God intimately, is a life of wisdom. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Similarly to the city of Ephesus, we live in a culture where we're easily deceived and easily can be seduced or numbed or distracted. Well, none of us at the same time will even sometimes be aware that that's actually happening. There's a million things that can take us off the path. And Paul says that a life with the spirit, a life dialed into truth and beauty and goodness is a life of wisdom. And so he says, don't be a fool. There is a juxtaposition between being wise and being foolish. Understand what the Lord's will is. We're going to come back to the Lord's will in a moment. So to talk for a minute about wisdom as it relates specifically to information. Information used to be humanity's most valuable commodity. 
But as many have been pointing out over the years, um, and I feel like I come across an article like in my feed every few days about something related to this, is that what we don't necessarily need is more information. We've got plenty of it. I can take out the phone that's in my pocket right now and have access to unbelievable amounts of information. Never before has that much power in terms of information been in one person's hand, never mind almost everyone's hands. No, the true currency in our world, many are arguing, is wisdom. Look at our ability to understand technology, our understanding of the universe or the human body. We have figured so much stuff out. Some days it feels like we've got pretty much everything figured out. But look at what we do when we actually gain knowledge and information. We have a propensity to not know what to do with it. And at our worst, we act like fools. We discover the building blocks of the universe, the atom. And what do we do with it? We create an atom bomb. We increase in knowledge and understanding. When we do this, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're becoming more wise. You can be incredibly well-educated and still be a biblical fool. There was a, an article that was making its way around parenting circles a couple years ago. Uh, how the, it was, I believe it was called How the Smartphone Destroyed a Generation. Subtle title. Uh, it was written in The Atlantic. And one of the points they made was that if you give your kid a smartphone, put them on social media in the eighth grade, there's apparently a 27% more likely chance that they will struggle with depression than children who participate in some sort of community or religious activities or play outside or all these other things that don't involve that. We have this incredible piece of technology that can connect us, that puts so much power in our hands. And what do we do with it? Well, our propensity is we compare one another and induce depression in teenagers. Um, Dr. King wrote, right, decades ago, uh, there is a sort, he says, quote, there is a sort of poverty of spirit which stands in glaring contrast to our scientific and technological abundance. The richer we have become materially, the poorer we have become morally and spiritually. We have learned to fly the air like birds and swim the sea like fish, but we have not learned the simple act of living together as brothers. Right? We play the fool when we set our heart on things that don't honor God. We play the fool when we gather all of this information up and we don't ask the bigger questions of what it means or what, it, what we should do with it. Timothy, one of the first uh, pastors in the scriptures writes in uh, 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This reminds me of a, a Jimmy Swagger interview. I don't know if any of you remember. I barely remember Jimmy Swagger, but he was one of these well-known televangelist types that had this horrible moral failure and involved, had a lot to do with money. And he was asked in an interview years later, asked, when did you stop loving Jesus? The interviewer's hypothesis was that clearly you stopped loving Jesus. That's why you had this just mess of a failure. Uh, he asked him twice and Jimmy Swaggart responds, what are you talking about? I never stopped loving Jesus. I've always loved Jesus. And then he writes this, he goes, or says this, he goes, here's what I did do though. I stopped fearing God. It says in the scriptures that a fool says in their heart, there is no God. It's a fool that says you can do whatever you want and God will just give you a blank pass. They just doesn't care. Another passage says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're talking about wisdom and foolishness and how that relates to time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
but fools despise wisdom. Use Paul's language, right? The fools despise the Lord's will and instruction. All who follow God's precepts have good understanding. The reason the fear of God is the key to wisdom. And the reason the more fueled you are with the spirit, the more you have reverence and honor for God, which by the way, we talk about fear of the Lord, that is the, the primary context for that is sort of honor and awe and wonder and realizing your otherness from God. The reason is because reverence and honor for God are the restraining factors. They're the restraining factors that stop you from being an idiot. It's, it's a revelation of the fear of God that makes you say, I'm not gonna do that. It's a revelation that you are not God that will cause you to hit pause and go, what's the best way to use this? Or what's the best way to carry this out? Or what's the best way to steward this or whatever? Isaiah 33, five to six, it says, the Lord is exalted for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be uh, the sure foundation of your times. Is that not a word for a moment? A promise. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. Because in this moment right now, we're aching for justice. After the Brianna verdict came in, like we're aching for justice. We're aching for wisdom. We're aching for true knowledge, for someone to save us from this, to save us from our own doings and happenings. Isaiah says you access this through a proper relationship with God, through a beautiful fear honor and reverence of God. Because if you fear God, you won't oppress the poor. And if you fear God alone, you're going to be less prone to take advantage of people. Proverbs says, walk with the wise and you will become wise. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. In other words, you're asking for wisdom. That's the place to start. Paul says elsewhere in uh, Ephesians, he says, you'll be filled with the knowledge of his will and the spir- and spiritual wisdom and understanding. To live a life intimately with God, to live the life of the ages. As a follower of Jesus, I would say to live the greatest possible way of life is to live with an eye on eternity an eye toward this greater wisdom. Be careful how you live, Paul writes. Live wisely. And then Paul says, live a life of holy urgency. He says, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Psychologist uh, Philip Zimbardo says that the most important assets or the most important commodity any of us have is time. And how you view time determines the outlook of your life. He basically says that each of us already has some sort of orientation to how we view our time. So if you're stuck in the past, you'll miss out on the future. But if you only think about the future, you forget who you are and the story you're a part of, and you won't live well either. (laughs) By the way, I I just want to point out because I love this, that like modern secular psychologists in our culture are reaffirming the ancient biblical truth 
of the vital importance of viewing time appropriately, the centrality of that. And people wonder why I still like to read the Bible. Our life is a breath. We can't get time back. We can't get our money back. You can't get your health back. It is always slipping away. And so we're told to be aware of this. All of this made me curious about how we spend our lives. So uh, this is a, a, this stat is maybe like four or five years old. Um, but we spent about 22,000 hours sleeping, 32,000 hours or so eating, 90,000 uh, hours working, 28,300 uh, hours online, 80,406 hours watching TV, 12,000 hours cleaning, about 26 years sleeping, 13 years listening to music, eight and a half years shopping, 117 days having sex, which feels very disproportionate to how much we like to talk about it. In modern culture, men spend four months of their lives shaving. Women spend a year and a half of their lives deciding what to wear. The typical person will spend two years in meetings at work and two whole years lost on recovering from hangovers. <laughs> the point here in Ephesians is that anybody who is filled with the Spirit, who is dialed into a life of godly wisdom, will have a revelation of the importance of time, and they will live with a holy urgency. I think when it comes to time, we usually think of two categories, how we can, one, use our time, or we think of how we can invest our time. But when you're a Christian, you ask a different question altogether. You begin to ask, how can I redeem the time? Redeeming the time in scriptures has this idea of buying something back. The verb that's used here is an economic term that actually means to redeem a commodity that's been in bondage. It was actually used when referring to buying a slave and then liberating them so they could go free. I think Paul is telling the church full of brand new Jesus followers that what they did before, they had a propensity to drift and to waste their time on themselves and their comfort and their pleasure. And now you have to understand the opportunity. You have to bear witness to the good news of Jesus in your time in history. Don't live in the same patterns that you did before. Redeem the time, take back the time. I think I've shared this story before, just thinking of redeeming the time. A friend of mine, a uh, sort of mentor of sorts, uh, he donated, um, or he did an experiment, I should say. He took 90 hours of his life. You realize how much time he had spent uh, watching, uh, I don't even remember what the show was, some like show over the course of a whole year, seven seasons, 15 one-hour episodes. And he just said, I'm going to stop watching Netflix. I'm done. I'm not going to do it anymore. As he like took an account of how much time he had in his mind, wasted. And so he dedicated that exact amount of time to the next year. And what he ended up doing was writing a book to help people in the way of Jesus. He did an experiment with his time, which again, raises all sorts of questions in me. And I want to share those with you is how do we leverage where we're at? What has God put in your heart and what gives you life? What opportunities do you have? What season are you in? And are you in that season in a passive way or an active way? How do you leverage where you're at? Like, how can you do that to make a contribution to the kingdom of God? Another story, Jonathan Edwards, when he was 20, he wrote uh, a list of 70 resolutions that he wanted to like live his life by. 
And one of his resolutions was this resolve never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way that he possibly could. I want you to see something interesting in all of this. When Paul says, redeem the time, he's saying, uh, you, can, you can essentially buy it back. He doesn't use that Greek word chronos, like where we get the word chronological. He, he uses the word um, kairos, and kairos means something like a season or a moment. And so you need to ask yourself, like, what season or moment are you in? What opportunity do you have to redeem the time? How can I leverage where you're at? If you're single, how do you leverage your singleness for the kingdom of God? Because when you're single, there are things that you can do that you can't do when you're married. If you're married, how do you leverage your marriage? Not just the time you have, which is probably diminishing as you begin to have kids, right? But how do you leverage your marriage for the kingdom of God? There are things that you can do when you're married that you can't do when you're single. If you have children, all right? Like if you have children, how do you leverage your parenting in this season for the way of Jesus? Because when you have kids, there are things that you can do that you can't do, that you couldn't do before. We should be the most strategic people when it comes to redeeming or leveraging or stewarding our time. Because here's what would be a shame. A lot of you are gonna be here maybe only for a season in the city of Providence, if you're watching from Providence specifically, <laughs> and then you're gonna move on to whatever God has for you. Our church trends a bit young. We have a lot of folks who have a, like a plan in their soul. You've moved here with a vision a vision for your vocation, for your career, financial goals, and career outcomes. Or some of you who've been living here your whole life, you're like, I know I'm never leaving here. And so you actually have some clarity on maybe what this next season looks like in this space. Either way, I want to encourage you to bake into your thinking, what is my plan for my spiritual formation? How am I going to redeem the time? How am I going to take it back? How am I going to use it wisely? How am I going to do that and steward that well, because as we have been talking, I feel like ad nauseum, but I have to bring this up again, is I think too many people, and I'm talking to a lot of you out there, you feel like you're in a holding pattern. You feel like you're waiting for the future to come. The future really is a like blank space. Like the future is blank. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that's actually accurate. Don't fill that in with any words. The future is blank. Is just unknown. And so you've, you've slowly drifted into a place of feeling like, I don't know what it is to take the next step. And, and what we're missing is the opportunity here to redeem the time, to be strategic and to take advantage of this moment. Now, this is where I should end. But I want to talk to those that feel exhausted really quick by all of that, real quick. Two things. Not every waking moment, this is not the invitation, right? Not every waking moment needs to be filled with intense productive activity. Rest and relaxation and play are part of a life lived like for godly wisdom. Sabbath reminds us that there is a pattern of mental and physical rest and refreshment that's necessary to create. And I want to say a word about patience. 
this is for those that are hearing this message right now and maybe feeling a bit exhausted, but also feeling so fired up and ready to charge the hill. It was a patient rhythm of life that produced power in the early church. I'm literally reading a book right now called The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. I know, it sounds like a riveting book. But it's just speaking to how steady and consistent and powerful work, just being present and slow and trusting in God, had so much to do with the kingdom of God exploding in the early church. God has placed in your hands and your churches, in our church, something to steward. And we don't need to cram a lifetime worth of work into every single moment. We think about justice and righting the wrongs of our world. It takes longer than a lifetime to see all the things we want to see that are wrong righted. We are part of a great story, one where God is putting the world to rights, one where we are ensured that he is renewing all things and where we get to join him, not do the work ourselves exclusively, but join him in that. And so we need to recognize our role in our time. And so we can make the most of our time. We can number our days. We can remember all that we, all that we have is today while remembering still that some people plant a seed and others water it and others prune it. And yes, some will see a harvest. That all makes sense. We can be patient. We can recognize the need for rest and understand the bigger story. And so to say in close that the future is now or the future is here is to be reminded that the responsibilities and pressures of this world like are fighting for our attention. And if we're honest, they tend to squeeze our inner lives and they starve our souls. And when this happens, we lose sight of the things that matter most. And we so often begin to focus on stuff that is passing away. You can possess a heart of wisdom when you surrender your life to God. We can make the most of what we've been given when we adopt a two-day calendar and trust that God is placed here in this time, placed you here in this time and in this place for eternal purposes. And finally, we can pick up our cross and live from a deep soul rest that's rooted in God's grace. A view of the future, a view of the future that sees it slipping into the present is what fills the follower of Jesus with energy and resolve and most of all, hope. Because we know who holds the future. We know how the story ends. So church today, may you trust that yes, God loves you right where you are. There is grace for days. But may you also know that God loves you far too much to let you stay in that place. Let's pray. Lord, my, my hope, I know the hope of other um, leaders in our community, God, is that our church um, would know what it is to be faithful to you in this time and in this place that you've placed us. For we know um, there are individual calls 
that you've put on people's lives. From the simple to the complex, you have placed um, invitations, you've placed call and purpose, vocation, Lord, on people, what it means, what it looks like for them to walk faithfully with you. And Lord, you have also then put this larger call of all of us together on what it means for us to be an outpost of love, an outpost of your kingdom, Lord, in this city, in the in our neighborhoods, in this region. And so I pray that today might be spent, um, people might spend this day taking some inventory, being aware of where they've drifted, where they've untied themselves. People be aware of the, you know, just the, the vaporous reality of this life. And we are like just a tiny dot on like the timeline of existence, Lord. And that that reality, this limited time you've given us to join you in what you're doing at this moment in history, may that just fuel our creativity and our imagination. And may we be people, Lord, who are not working for your favor, which you do not invite us to do, but are working from it, from your love and from your grace and from your rest. Pray all this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.